Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Political Impact. I'm your host, Kelsey Hickman, and thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, Last week was reading week, so we didn't have a episode, so we took a beat, but we are back this week, and I'm so excited uh, to share this episode with you guys. I've been sitting on it for a while, but this is an episode I pre-recorded last fall semester um, when I was on exchange. So during the fall semester, I got the opportunity to study abroad at um, in Lille, France, at a school called Sciences Po Lille, and I got the opportunity to work under and learn under a professor by the name of Dr. Carl Rien. Dr. Rien is a amazing professor, originally from Lebanon, and he specializes in international relations and Middle Eastern affairs. He is a fascinating academic with such interesting insights that I wanted to share. So I'm so honored that he agreed to do this conversation with me and he agreed to share why he thinks it's important for students to stay on top of Middle Eastern affairs and international relations no matter where or who it happens to. Towards the end of last year, the revolution of Iran was in all newspapers and was a really big um, international uh, conflict. So I talk to uh, Dr. Rian to give us some further historical context of why that revolution is happening and why we should care about it. Um, I'm really, really honored to share this conversation with you guys. I think that it is uh, one of the best that I have um, the privilege of having. So um, thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you learned something from this one. And without further ado, here is Dr. Rian. Most notably, I think uh, something that interests a lot of my listeners is a big political and I would say now historical event um, that is happening right now, uh, the revolution of Iran. If you could, uh, from your perspective and with your expertise, summarize the issue and why it's happening for our audience. Now, that's a big ask. I, I understand it's a it's a very complicated and long drawn out um uh, kind of uh, straw that broke the camel's back, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, now, evidently, there's one there's one thing uh, I think that we need to keep in mind in relation to to Iran. Um, there is there on there certainly exists a big part of uh, public grievance against. Uh, Current economic situation, uh, the current economic situation, mm-hmm. um, and this grievance is also a social grievance, um, and it's a social grievance that is also related to the uh, status of women, um, particularly in relation, you know, to the moral police, etc. Which, by the way, did not um, was not historically there. It had been a creation of the two thousands. Yes. Uh, under uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, who was the ultra-conservative uh, president uh, of Iran, um, so undoubtedly there is there is, you know, several several elements within it that have led. There is sufficient. There has been sufficient um, stressors within Iranian society to actually create sufficient groundwork for political contestation, particularly a political contestation uh, in the streets. Right. And the moral police has been recently abolished. Um, 
in part in in part now again we need to also be uh, very um, careful when we say it has been abolished uh, or the decision is to abolish it because in reality in reality uh, practices are going to remain customary in certain in in many areas and uh, you know uh, old uh, old habits die hard and the um, that does not necessarily mean that in practice uh, agents for example of the government who were part of the moral police are not going to still be there uh, in the streets um, watching and observing and whatnot or reporting that doesn't uh, um, that that's that's one important thing to keep in mind is that now now here's the question here's the inherent question why to what extent can we actually consider it a um, revolution quote unquote and and full revolution i do not ascribe to the um to the mediatic uh, uproar that calls it a revolution because a revolution um a revolution require inherently its its definition is a violent uprising with the purpose of toppling a government mm-hmm. okay that is the if i wanted to go by well. this <laughs> yeah so so um what we are witnessing in in iran right now may carry certain aspects of a revolution it may carry certain components and actors of of a revolution is it a revolution uh the way i see it um no it's not uh, does not um the term iranian revolution i think is a highly um it's a it's a mediatic uh, uproar uh, mainly now here's one thing if you've noticed kelsey the intra, the mediatic uh, interest in uh, iran has been has gone up and down uh, for the past uh, uh, for a while now yes and here comes the reason uh, one thing that i think your stu- i mean the students at uh, at your university are particularly interested in why are these fluctu- why do these fluctuations happen and you know when we're uh, when we're we're students, we're still idealists in a sense that we 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 think that the media's you know are inherently you know um, how do they say um, they lie and they uh, do all sorts of uh, things and twist the truth and uh, they're dishonest and they should be more uh, humane etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But the thing is, the thing is, uh, Kelsey, and this is. As a realist and as a particularly someone who focuses on international security, I do think that we need to try to understand what are the interests. Again, it's about the interests. It's about the defensive, strategic and economic interests that are leading this ebb and flow in these um um, in relation to to Iranian uh, domestic policy. Now, one thing that I so that's that's already how to qualify what is happening today in in Iran. Mm-hmm. You see, it's already to, to in terms of uh, to, to qualify it. Evidently, again, and I'll I'll get to the point as to why this. Why, how did we get here? Okay. Right. Um, now. I'll have to also say a few things about uh, Iran because we also need to understand. There's one thing I've 
I always adamantly focus on. In international security, the there are two things that are inherently ingrained within the system. There is the threat that exists, a potential threat to state security that exists. Mm-hmm. And then there is the perception of threat. Okay, right. and, I, and the perception of threat sometimes is can be as powerful as the threat itself. And I think that perceptions of threat have dictated for quite a while um, Iran's foreign policy and vice versa, and Western foreign policy in relation to Iran. Mm. There are multiple reasons for this, and there are historical and, again, economic reasons for this, you see, reasons of interests that were in relation to uh, state security in Europe at the time of the beginning of the Cold War. How did we get here? How did we get to this point where we no longer have a nuclear deal and we're, um, we have uh, unrest in Iran? Iran has undoubtedly is undoubtedly a resource-constrained country, and so consequently, its debt is soaring. Its economy is uh, has lots of faltering, um, uh, you know, uh, indicators in it. You know, the devaluation of the currency, etc. How did we get here, and how did we get to this? Also, this geopolitical mess that um, in relation to, to, you know, the Gulf states and Iran on one hand and the United States, why hasn't there been any potential uh, solution, let's put it this right. way, to, um, to, to, to uh, let's say, U.S. Uh, relation with, with Iran? There are multiple reasons. Well, first of all, we need to first think that the wound cuts deep and goes back um, to the 50s, okay? In the 50s, the interest of the of Western powers, particularly the U.S., was to supply cheap oil uh, coming from the Middle East. And we'll, I'll get to the analogy of today in relation to today, particularly in relation to the war in, in, in Ukraine. Yes. But uh, the analogy here is the following. Uh, in the 50s, you... The the Iranian wanted the Iranian government wanted to negotiate the nationalization of the uh, Anglo-Iranian oil company, okay, which was uh, met with a blatant uh, no, uh, ain't gonna happen until you had one uh, prime minister who at the time decided to actually nationalize it uh, out unilaterally, practically, uh, even though the negotiation was potentially had still the idea of 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 dispersing a certain payments and whatnot to to um, to eventually resolve the crisis. That was not out of the table at the time, except that it ended with a um, with a backlash, and the backlash was a covert operation that overthrew uh, the government and reinstated and reprivatized the Anglo-Iranian oil company at the time. Okay. Right. Why was this? Why did this happen? Again, those the, the detractors, you know, of both sides are going to say, well, see, it's, you know, uh, Iranian, um, um, you know, how do they say, um, it was a pers- it was a it was an actual threat, and the Iranians felt threatened, and this is why eventually they revolted, or not, etc. And relationships have sa- relationship has has soured ever since. Mm-hmm. The other the other on the other side, you have uh, evidently those who say, well. Um, this this uh, it was it was the Iranians who who uh, who acted belligerent by nationalizing uh, the Anglo-Iranian or whatnot. Right. The issue here is that inherently, in terms of European state security, 
um, the flow of oil at the time, okay, was so important for Western Europe that um, we need to we need to not, not forget that we're in the early fifties, you see, and the blockades uh, in 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 Europe and the Iron Wall has just had just been become established, you see, right. and so. Um, the same way that we talk today about a crisis, a energy crisis. This is the, today we talk about an energy crisis, but we're still able to actually light up our, our um, you know, our heaters. Uh, we're talking about a period in which Europe was pr practically still in, in in the early reconstruction, needing massive amounts of fuel, needing a massive amount of oil, and needing also for both reconstruction purposes, relaunching of the industry, and heating, yeah. and it didn't yeah. have it. And that is why the intervention happened. Now, this this wound actually cut quite deep. It did, it did, and I do think that there is a big part of the responsibility that lies on those who have intervened in, in, inherently in, in in Iran and um, the inability from the fifties onward to actually mend ties. Uh, not only with the Shah, because the Shah eventually became increasingly isolated. It was to redeem relations with the Iranian people. And so consequently, this led, um, we know how this ended. It ended in the Islamic Revolution in Iran in 1979, which made things, mind you, 10 times worse for these relations. The, the same way we were talking, you know, when we talked about the Arab-Israeli conflict and whatnot, you know, we, we said that in the you know, in the early, in, in the in the late 40s and early 50s, there may have been chances for uh, an immediate resolution, more on a practical aspect uh, and mending of, of, of certain ties, particularly in relation to the refugee issue and, and so on. But that didn't happen because of the staunch, you know, um, right. um, yeah, so, so, so the, the, the staunchness of, of uh, uh, of, of certain uh, political leaders, including within the Israeli establishment at the time. Um, so in any case, um, the reason I say this is because when the Islamic Revolution in Iran happened, 1979, okay, and onward, okay, um, evidently the, the, the response has been to contain Iran, okay, right. it has been there it had been the modus operandi of gulf of, of not only gulf state but mainly the united states and western power to contain iran okay this evidently changes okay with the 2003 invasion uh, of iraq and which was supposed to bring democracy to iraq here we are we're very it's well, thriving democracy right. what can i tell you i'm, being, I'm being extremely extremely sarcastic yeah. <laughs> that has opened the door precisely for iran to be able to intervene further within iraq and consequently in the arab world now why is the question why is iran interested in the middle east mm. and why has the western policy in relation to iran been highly contradictory there are multiple reasons. The first thing is that Iran has the, the quote-unquote containment of Iran ever since the Iranian revolution onward, has cost Iran massively, both in term, in relation to the Iran-Iraq war, it has cost um, massive amount of, of uh, human uh, casualties, okay, on one hand, okay, and has added to the... Um, um, to, to the to the rancor that exists, popular rancor that exists within Iran in relation to the West, 
That's one. The second thing is that the sanctions, generally speaking, the entire sanction system that has existed with, in, in relation to containing Iran has damaged its ability to actually be a key player within the international, uh, on the international scene, particularly in relation to its oil production. Okay. Um, Iran is a very wealthy state in terms of its um, uh, raw materials, okay, in, in that sense. And so it seeks to export them. And one key area it seeks to export is towards Europe, okay. Um, and the more, the more the sanction regime has lasted, the more it has eventually become, you know, after... After the war on terror, it has become more of a, you know, the axis of evil. And then the sanction regime tightened further. We had a small, you know, moment de répit, as we would say in in in, in French, with the with the nuclear deal, um, which was eventually dismantled. I think it was a mistake, mm-hmm. um, because and, and so consequently. And let's put it this way, the sanction system, it altogether, okay, the entire sanction system, whether be it in any shape or form you want to you want to look at it, whether the freezing of accounts to the to the uh, uh, throwing away of the nuclear deal to okay, and and because why did the why was the nuclear deal important? Because it actually reallowed Iran to become a player, a key player of 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 uh, within the oil export industry, okay. And it's and throwing away the deal has actually increased, has tightened the noose around Iranian uh, oil production. Okay, mm-hmm. not to mention the fluctuations of of oil prices. Okay, what do these do? They tighten the noose on Iran's tax revenue uh, revenues. They tighten the new the noose on not revenues on foreign revenues on foreign foreign currency revenues. Okay, and they increase debt, especially when you have to fund a bureaucracy, when you have to fund the army, when you have to fund a welfare system, when you have to fund, you have to fund, 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 fund. The only way becomes the only way become for 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 in order to increase economic power and consequently political power is to increase the economic relations that you have with certain states around you. One of these key countries has been Iraq after 2003, you see. And how, again, do we increase um, economic uh, power? We do so by arms trades, arms arms shipment, the sale of raw material, the even, even aid, you see, aid which is political, which we hope to get back in another way. So all of these have contributed. So Iran was highly interested in actually looking westward so that it was able to circumvent the sanctions regime right this has led evidently to a sort of um you know obviously this was going to lead to to more and more uh tensions you yes. see with with the gulf states in particular okay and um the the tensions with with the gulf states have has been in a certain sense also related to who exports their oil, who puts their oil on the domestic, on the international markets. That's one thing that uh, everyone 
tends to a tiny bit forget. We focus on the Sunni Shia split and the Iranian, you know, the, the Shia uh, uh, crescent and whatnot, but we forget that at the end of the day, it's also about who puts their oil on the international markets. Right, uh, which is what we were talking about, why it's so important to include economics within the political conversation. I think that your insight on this issue is so important because I think um, you hear the beginning of this uh, of the story being um, the wrongful death um, death of um, Miss wearing a hijab, but it goes so much deeper than that, and there's so much historical context to this issue. Um, where where is the um, I don't want to use the word revolution <laughs> anymore um, now that you've uh, corrected it. But where is Iran at now? Um, I think it uh, it's uh, slipping a little bit in media attention. Um, doesn't sell as much as it did initially. So where is Iran at now? Yes, uh, which precisely it's a, a great question, Kelsey, because this is precisely comes into to to continue in a sense what what I was. Uh, building about, and the reason I went into this 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 a bit is precisely to tell you about this this economic imperative that that Iran has, uh, in the hopes that its e expansion westward is going to reflect economically on it. You see, right. it, its uh, interests in the in 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 western in in its uh, western neighbors and and uh, in Syrian politics and in. Uh, uh, what uh, Iraqi politics and Lebanese politics, evidently, and so on and so forth, is related also to its uh, to its attempt to break out of the of the sanction regime that has been um, slapped on it. Now, there's another thing that we need to um, also understand is that the wars that have taken place in the Middle East, particularly in Iraq and, and Syria, have in many cases led to several reconfigurations, particularly in relation to the potential um, potential oil export and the pathways of these oil export uh, um, transit routes towards Europe. Okay, This has also been an underplayed um, an underplayed element. So Iran is definitely interested in actually re-establishing relations, okay, and cordial relations. And we've seen it, and we've seen it many times um, with Turkey, it is, despite the confrontation that has taken place, for example, in Syria, because there is the notion, and the is quintessentially central notion that oil has to continue flowing to Europe and the way it's going to flow to Europe is through Turkey, right. you see. And projects ha projects are on way and have existed before the Syrian crisis in the hopes of continuing this this uh, and in increasing um, oil exports uh, towards Europe. Now, there's one thing that we that we also need to focus on in that regard. So, so that's one thing. That is its plan. That that is perhaps one of its its cornerstone policies. Now, the fact that the sanctions regime has been uh, thrown aside. Uh, I'm sorry. The the um, uh, the nuclear deal. The mm -hmm. the fact that the nuclear deal has been uh, shelved. Okay. Why was the nuclear deal so important? 
it was so important because the nuclear deal also included clauses in relation to the presence of Iranian oil on world markets and the amount of oil that could be sold and in relation to the prices and to the tariffs and so on and so forth. That is one thing we forget. And one thing that we do forget is that if today the nuclear deal comes back into place, if it comes back into place now, Iran will be able to export much more oil and make much more oil available on the global markets. Okay. Right. I had the figure. I don't have it right now, but I'll, I can bring you the figure. Mm-hmm. It's a. It's quite a. It's quite an amount. It's quite right. an amount. Right. It's an amount that has that is of consequential uh, importance for um, for Iran. Now, here comes the second. Uh, here comes the relation with where we are today. Yes. So there is this interest. Where is the West, particularly Europe, at today? The war in Ukraine, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, has increasingly led, as we know, to the strain of um, and the availability of resources, okay, gas in particular, okay, um, which has eventually led to the to an increase of prices, soaring prices. Okay, compared to where they were, uh, of energy. Okay, the soaring price of energy, as we said, is and we said this. You know, I think you may remember this from class. The soaring prices of energy, someone has to pay pay it. Okay, if it's not the consumer, it's going to be the companies. If it's not the companies, it's going to be the government. Someone's paying. That's something that we need. This notion that blocking prices, you see, and selling it to people, saying, "Oh, we've blocked prices." What does it mean? Blocking prices, meaning I'm subsidizing <laughs> energy prices at a certain level. That's what it means. And when you subsidize, it's a, right, subsidies tend to be regressive because the 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 working class, like working class or employees, etc., are not going to consume as much as the affluent, and so on and so forth. So, who benefits, generally speaking, from Subsidies, but that's a that's a uh, question on the side. I'm not. We're not going to go into my 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 harsh critique of subsidies. We'll keep it for, <laughs> for right. another time. But, but one thing I want to say is that Europe today is facing this uh, fuel shortage and this uh, this energy crisis that has led to an increase, a quite considerable increase of of uh, prices. Okay. Um, the this is where Iran comes in, in many cases, okay. And this is where Iran's the situation um, in Iran today and the uprising that has taken place in Iran has, in many cases, I think, uh, is leading to a reconfiguration of negotiations. Okay, how does it happen? It happens in a way that first of all, it's going to be presented as a revolution. It's going to be supported and so on and so forth to bring Iran back to the negotiating table in relation to potential exports of oil and prices. And so, generally speaking, behind any toning down of the media, generally speaking, on a subject, there is a deal being cooked. Okay. Now, what are the specificities of this deal? Okay. Is going to be... uh, 
is still up evidently for for um it's it's still up for for uh, um, analysis what are the particularities of this deal okay but are we going into another um nuclear deal and so on i generally would be inclined to say so because europe today's europe's pivot to the towards the middle east uh, again is very similar to the pivot of the late 40s and early 50s in which i have a categorically i have an issue that's emerging with 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 russia okay i have an embargo that's resulting at the time it was resulting because of ideology of but the marshall plan and whatnot etc today it's resulting because of the war in ukraine but the end result is the same we are in a situation of blockade yes europe is going to attempt european countries and the eu are going to reshuffle their cards okay and reshuffle priorities and by reshuffling priorities what does this mean it means also that discussing economic diversification in relation to the arab world is going to be politely put on the side and the focus is going to be intensify yeah. oil production because we're buying and we need to buy asap and we need to buy fast in order to reduce the stress the macroeconomic stress that is generated on be it the consumer or on the public financial management system and That's I think on, such yeah. A, yeah i think that your perspective on um why um the international um uh outlook is so important on this issue um because it, we're all interconnected it's it's too much of a globalized world anymore to just see a um this sort of um uh, uh national uprising to not impact um surrounding countries and in international affairs so it's definitely something that students need to um stay on top of and stay aware of um in including um researching on their own time and and having these kinds of discussions i think is really important absolutely and i'd add one thing and this is one thing i'd like to add uh kelsey is that if you notice now so so this ebb and flow in interest in relation to media coverage of of iran yes it now has reached this point where a potential again this reshuffling of cars that has that is taking place in relation to the middle east now is going to i think push european countries to reconsider their current relation with iran irrespective okay of the sanctions regime that is in place same for the United States, I think, because today the the because the U.S. does not even even though you know the, the there are there are the the entire um, you know trade uh, disagreements and whatnot. I do not think that the United States wants uh, a Europe to be to weaken um, for, in relation particularly to a more assertive uh, Russia in the in Eastern Europe. Um, and if things continue in the way they are, they're going to continue on a downward spiral. And if they do, it's going to have catastrophic consequences for European uh, within for the European public and for European consumers of electricity and so on and so forth. So Iran is has become is going to become more important. Yes. Okay? Absolutely. Within this, and this is where I was getting to. So Iran is going to become more important. 
again. And Iran becoming more important means Iran is back on the negotiating table. Iran being back on the negotiating table means that interest, that, that tensions within Iran are looked at further from the extent to which they are useful as yeah. pressure tools to get Iran to concede on certain issues related to its oil production. Mm-hmm. You see. Now, how where does the retaliation, why why is there also a violent retaliation from the Iranian government in relation to these protests? The issue is evidently, evidently related to these different factors that I've talked about. One is the historical factor, the perception of a threat. Mainly that if there's something happening in in, in the streets and whatnot, that it could be potentially fostered or supported by a foreign component, etc. While in reality, it's it's also part of actually a grassroots movement or whatnot. There's, There's this. It already plays in the configuring of the mindset towards these protests. The second thing is evidently the fact that by giving by seeing that the west is giving lots of media attention to these protests is inherently political for iran and is inherently becomes a matter of state security for iran and consequently justifies further in its in its mindset okay becomes political okay right. and tries to suppress it yes. by hoping that if it suppresses it, it gives less of a card, okay, to the to Western powers mm-hmm. uh, in creating a certain mediatic coverage in relation to Iran, which could potentially justify intervention. You see, uh, the 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 uh, post post nine eleven world has taught one thing: is that uh, intervention does not happen. On on a it doesn't happen on immediately. It happens on a very long. It it pre, it prepares itself. You see, there's a mediatic attention. You see, it so on and so forth that is built. There's public opinion that is shaped, and then you see there is there's an intervention. And Iran fears this. It 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 has its uh, its guards up on this, and in its. Even if this, and inherently, if we were to look at what it is, okay, uh, it is a uh, circumstantial situation in which the high cost of living resulting from, as we were saying, the the sanctions regime and so on, plus this 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 police force that has been established in the two thousands, which had gone way overboard in yeah. in, in in its uh, in its uh, prerogatives, have led to increased public resentment against the the government however however it has also its political uh, uh consequences on these european iranian uh potential negotiations and the continuation of these negotiations in relation to the oil regime you right. see and to the to the to the oil production and and the, the presence of of uh, of iranian oil on a, on the global market yeah it's... and each one is going to try to eventually um it's it's always like a you see uh, tightening the noose a bit to get what you want and vice versa you see and the moment you you get you you see that you're getting what you want you actually release a tiny bit the noose and you get 
to the negotiating table, and consequently, it becomes of a lesser interest in the media. If yeah. I made so. No, absolutely, and it's unfortunately it's definitely a topic that needs more than an hour podcast uh, to be covered. Um, it is, um, yeah, I think it's it's something that we need to. Uh, stay on top of and students should stay on top of international relations anyway um they're always gonna have an impact on your you and your life um in one way or another um and thank you so much for sh sharing your expertise on uh, such a viable um uprising right now um where can students read your latest work and if you have a final message uh just quickly to wrap up as the time there is going off again <laughs> well um in relation to my uh, latest uh, work, now I've the last um, um, my last article has uh, it's um, it's more related to to uh, development, particularly uh, policy policy planning in the in the MENA region. So it's uh, implementing Agenda 2030 in the uh, in the MENA region. It's slightly it's more related to economics and macroeconomics precisely how to create a viable macroeconomic framework within the within the arab world and the mena region that could be conducive to less fragility so that's that's one thing it's a it's an article from 2019 now i do have uh, i can tell your the, the students that the that there's a coming soon of uh, two volumes one of them being related to the first coup d'état that has taken place in the um, in the Arab world and its relation to the rise of uh, military rule, and this is uh, across the region. And uh, from again the pol political economists' perspective and the internet and the relationship between domestic politics and the international political economy, upcoming 2023. Okay. Perfect. And um, the second uh, book is going to be about the networking particularly and and uh, for development and for um, economic development uh, in the arab world and in the mena region and its relationship with um, foreign donors and the politicization of aid uh, in that regard too it's about a uh, it's about a regional um, network that had been created um, was called uh, the it still is the Gift Mena Network, and it has it's one of these exceptional instances of uh, cooperation within the and economic cooperation within the Mena region, and um, it has faced quite lots of uh, it had has it has had its high moments, but it has also had its uh, difficult moments, particularly in relation to the Arab Spring and so on. So again, more exploration. Uh, of this relation between um, domestic politics and domestic economic development and uh, the um, international political economy, yeah. mainly. Awesome. Uh, Coming up also 2023. Dr. Rian, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And for such an insightful conversation, I think it's going to be definitely a great listen for everyone at home. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Kelsey. Uh, keep in touch. Yes. Thank you. Okay, everyone, that is it for this week's episode. Again, big thank you to Dr. Ryan for joining me and having such an insightful conversation about what's happening in Iran. I hope that this episode gave you further insight on what is going on and why 
I think that it also is a starting point for you to look up blogs and articles and other academic uh, opinions on what's going on. Um, if that interests you, you can find The Political Impact on Instagram at The Political Impact. And we air on Radio Laurier every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Once again, my name is Kelsey Hickman. Thank you so much for listening, and your voice matters.